Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the student of the game. I am Kyle Nash, the student of the game. And listen, you're here. Chances are you like talking sport. And hey, listen, I whatever game it is, I try to be a student of it. Um, thanks for coming in and being aboard here. Uh, I hope everybody's dealing with NFL withdrawal as well as I uh, am attempting to here uh, tonight. Listen, um, while there is an Orlando-centric base here, um, we are not limited to topics of Orlando. Of course, I refer to tonight's guests, of course, my friend from the Black and Gold Banner. It also does a lot of work with Fast Pitch News and another local outlets and, and things here in the Orlando area and uh, out and about, actually, as well. He's going to be doing a remote broadcast of a softball game here uh, in Carolina or for Carolina in Carolina. I don't know how that works. He'll be here. The game will be in Carolina. That's what I understand. I don't know. Anyways, Eric Lopez will be on the show here um, shortly first. And of course, after that, um, good friend of the show. Normally we would have him as the college football guy who covers UCF. But since then he's grown up even more. My friends, Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel, the Orlando magic beat writer will be aboard here as well to talk some NBA and all-star game. And, you know, we had to get a little of that in here before um, coming up for the all-star break. Of course, this past weekend was the NBA all-star game. We'll talk to him about his experience with that and, and how all that went and all of these other uh, scenarios that took place and went big in the NBA. But before we get into it, any of that, um, college football. I know, I know. Kyle, the best way you can handle NFL withdrawals is talking about college football. Mescaline. No, I'm kidding. Uh, listen, um, the it's not so much stuff on the field that has grabbed my attention lately, but we all are aware that the coming football season in college will kick off the first effort at the 12-team playoff, at the extended playoff, at the bracket-style playoff, at least for Division um, One football already division two and three have been doing it for quite some time with great success and apparently um you know some heads got pulled out of some cavities out of particular people important people's bodies and uh they thought it might be a good idea to try it now obviously the biggest push and fanfare of it is you know if we had it this year fsu wouldn't have been excluded forget about the fact that it was correct that fsu was left out of the top four hashtag deal with it and the evidence of that came in a very interesting headline. Sure, I have already made plenty, plenty of noise about the decline in likely death of the ACC. Well, Thanos called and told me that I've found something more inevitable at this point. And the ACC's death certainly seems to be a thing that is all but certain and there's no Iron Man to come in and make the snap instead. Matter of fact, FSU, who at the beginning of last season was making overtures and trying to find ways to break off from the ACC, already telling the world long before any debates took place to leave FSU out of the top four, they themselves were debating and showing you with their actions, not debating literally, but showing you with their actions, that this is a conference that needs to die and is at the very least incompetent, if outright obsolete. Please see the Big 12. Even though, ironically, the Big 12 had one of their best years 
this past season as almost like a swan song. Um, and and um, confirmation of that death, by the way, comes in the form of the college football playoff uh, officially making the structure five and seven, right? Because previously it was six and seven, the power of five and a G5 with at-larges. Now it's five and seven because there is no longer a power of five. It's more officially a power of four now because the Pac-12 is, as we said, basically dead. However, FSU is in a position to where they're in. I don't know if we call this an entanglement. That that means something completely different now, but they are at, at least in conflict through legal proceeding and, and, and posturing and, and, and mud-hurling in the press and all this other stuff to where something appears to be possible now or at least acknowledged as possible that uh, wasn't previously. And that is FSU buying their rights, acquiring their rights from the grant of rights. So just as you understand, the ACC, all conferences have a deal where they grant their rights, a grant of rights, if you will, all their media stuff. That's how the conferences are able to then collectively bargain on behalf to get the TV people to the table, blah, 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 right? There's talk that UCF is at, the, excuse me, FSU is at the table with the ACC. By the way, yeah, news, UCF changed conferences. No, stop it. Um, but FSU is at the table, and the ACC is at least listening in a way that they hadn't been before. Because whenever sort of court proceeding gets involved, which FSU is suing the ACC, that's an active thing that's happening, right? Court cases are unpredictable. Should FSU win their court case, there's a potential for them to get their rights for free. Whereas if they wanted to buy out of the grant of rights, I think it's upwards of $500 million, right? Where's where's my Dr. Evil finger? Right? Okay. Or Dr. Evil pinky, whatever. Dr. Evil finger. Don't look that up on Urban Dictionary. That just sounds scary. But listen. So I think the reason why the ACC is at least entertaining a settlement concept is to get cash for FSU's rights to possibly finance some other deals and some other efforts to expand to try to keep themselves alive and relevant. Now, granted, I know they got the juggernaut that is SMU out of the American. <laughs> no offense to the American and Mike Oresco, but what is SMU really thinking they're going to get away with here by jumping to a dying Power 5 conference other than getting re-relegated back to the G5 when it's all done? But that's a separate conversation. With FSU, if this, this piece right here with FSU determines the fate of the ACC, who, by the way, still currently a part of the Power Five. But Kyle, why is that so relevant? That's a great question, especially when you see headlines out there that starting in 2016, there's talk of a 14-team expansion and a whole other hullabaloo there. Now, keep in mind, the way that this deal works for the college football playoff is that they took the current TV deal and crowbarred a 12-team bracket into it somehow. Which, by the way, if you happen to be a bowl game fan, they just got made a lot more important 
if you weren't a bowl game fan, but you like the college football playoff, you're about to become a bowl game fan, or at least <laughs> for the ones that happened later in December. If you if you're one of these like me who um, doesn't watch a lot of the games that happen in bowls before Christmas, um, you know, your 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 late bowl season fan watching is going to be inevitable in itself if you want to see the college football playoff now in the 12 game format or 12 team format rather but if the ACC is continued to be undermined let's say they lose an FSU and a precedent is sent is there any way we expect the ACC to not hemorrhage teams and when that happens and 2016 rolls around and they renegotiate Will the ACC even be at the table? What will that look like? What what would that do? And that's part of what we're going to talk to Eric Lopez about when he gets here shortly. But I'll put it this way. The ACC is going to find themselves in a whole heap of trouble. There are some teams there that have brands and are in football-rich surroundings, right? FSU, I mentioned as an example. They've not been great for a while. Let's remember, <coughs> excuse me, let's remember that FSU making it to 10 wins, not last year, but the year previous, beating a 6-7 and seven Oklahoma team was considered a big deal. I was less impressed. Now, granted, when they came out at the beginning of last year and beat LSU in the or- or Orlando kickoff classic, um, which I was present for with, ironically, Eric Lopez, um, Though we weren't working for the black and gold banneret that day, bing, but that's a whole other question. That was FSU's then, you know, making its big year. And listen, Coach Mike Nolan is somebody I've enjoyed. I, I, I obviously crossed his path when he was coaching for Memphis and I was still writing for UCF. Um, again, not necessarily with, with the black and gold banneret, but, you know, covering UCF and seeing what happened to him against UCF. But the front line is this. When FSU moves, when Miami moves, some of these names were going to actually be tested in, 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 in the ACC. Oh, but Kyle Clemson's going to be just fine. I don't know about that, for example. Is anybody really impressed with Clemson's conduct and play lately? Now, granted, when I say conduct, I'm not here to say that they're going to have uh, any sort of probation or penalty marked against them. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am implying is that Clemson, without Trevor Lawrence, has been less than impressive. And no, I'm not talking about them losing to Notre Dame uh, uh, <laughs> during the pandemic year and all that other stuff. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, you haven't have have has Clemson even sniffed the playoff since, right? It's been pretty clear for a minute that before the American broke off UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati to lose them to the Big 12 and replace those teams, granted the fourth team for the Big 12 is BYU, for those who don't remember, right? Before that point, the American, I can make a strong argument, as an entire conference was better than the ACC. But who here is really impressed with the branding? And I know some blue buds will hear this and be all like, and some blue blood friends will be, Kyle, this is ridiculous. Dabo is going to take care of a big nest. Dude, 
He has been getting out-recruited and worked for some time now due to his antiquated approach to college football. And it's beginning to show, right? That's, a, that's, that's obviously a problem, you know. Um, then who, who, who else is supposed to impress me in the ACC, right? Granted, there's some ACC classic teams that aren't even in there anymore. Like, I would first say Rutgers, but I'm like, wait, Big Ten. Uh, it's all confusing. But, like, Boston College, is that supposed to be an impressive group? You know, just as an example. Is, is who, 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 who in the ACC, other than Florida and Miami, who, by the way, haven't really done well okay not fsu sorry um but miami with mario cristobal was feigning prominence and then they made a couple mistakes like the you know the whole situation in georgia tech and all that with the not kneeling on the ball and that craziness just went completely awry um then over and above all of that You, am I supposed to take like what Boston College? Um, I mean, I know they only beat FSU by a point, so obviously they're in the game. Who else in the ACC is left to really impress? So if those brands go, it could be problematic. I don't know, but I'm I'm on record being an ACC hater, an FSU critic. I'm not going to say skeptic; that's too strong. I, I was in the presence of our guest here, who's about to ready to jump in as he's in the virtual green room here. But I was with our guest at the football classic, Orlando football classic, in week one of the previous college football season and said, and I quote, I'm pretty impressed by this defensive front and showed, uh, let's say, hope for FSU to be a playoff representative. And of course, I mean, none other than my good friend, the Sultan of Stickball himself, my guy from the Black. How you doing? Hey, man, great to have you in. I, I don't know how much of the open here you heard, but obviously, listen, in matters of things Noler and Knight, and not if you're one of those people, um, I do tend to bring you in to bring in some voice of reason so I can't just be accused of being a hater, and this is one such of those times. And I know you and I, battled epic and wax poetic about how FSU was, in my opinion, correctly left out of the college football playoff. But this has little to do with that. What I mean to say is FSU going after the ACC. For me, this is just the first true domino of what you've been hearing me say on various podcasts, including do you agree with that assessment that this is like chunk falling off oh yeah i mean look at the where we're headed with college athletics in general with the playoff now finally going to five and seven model five automatic champions i mean it's supposed to be six and six but then the pack you did the thing or pack 12 said the thing did the thing that i said it would you know it imploded and <laughs> You know, I don't think the SEC and the Big Ten is satisfied with that. I think you'll see this format for the next two years, and I think after that, who knows? I think the SEC and the Big Ten is going to try to grab more control of this playoff, whether it be guaranteed spots or whatever. They're going to dominate this playoff, and I think Florida State knows that. 
Yeah. I think Florida State knows that the ACC, from a football standpoint, its days are numbered. Yeah. And I think if you're FSU, I think their goal is to get to one of those two conferences, the SEC or the Big Ten, within the next couple of years when they redo this playoff. And who knows what that playoff will look like, whether they stay with what they have now, whether they go to 16 teams, whether the SEC and the Big Ten basically say, this is our tournament, you're more than, you know, and we'll maybe give you two spots. Who knows, right, How We can debate on what direction it goes. But if you're Florida State, you don't want to be left out, especially, like, we could debate about the whole thing this year with Alabama, but Florida State just saw up close – them being left out, whether you agree with it or not, you just saw it. So from a head standpoint, you're going to get left out in the bigger picture. You mentioned that, that that big piece of them not wanting to get left out. Obviously that's the big deal, but I, I have floated the, I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory, but you know, maybe I need a tinfoil hat. You'll, you tell me, but I felt like, and it's not been talked about enough. And I think we talked about a little bit of this on the black and gold banneret, but, um, See, I, I I do my own voice acting on this podcast, Eric Lopez. Let me make it clear. Yeah, but, I noticed that, yes. <laughs> but I feel like FSU's effort to start kicking the tires to get out at the beginning of last year was involved with hurting their case trying to get into the top four. Because not only was it about um, Jordan Travis being hurt, the ACC was also questioned, not just by me. Well, yes, Yes, trying to get the team in question, trying to get out of that conference. Is that not an open display of the weakness? Right. Well, the funny thing is, you and I actually agree on why Florida State was left out. I don't. My issue was this was not an. They could say it was about the quarterback, but it was more than the just the quarterback situation. They were able to hide behind that. I got you. It was a cop out. It was a cop out. But what they had, you brought it up. I agree with you. I think. The ACC was not going to have Florida State's back in this situation, right? I mean, we agree on that. They just weren't going to because the ACC was the commission was the 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 head guy of the committee for the playoff is an ACC guy, and I guarantee you he was not fighting for Florida State. So that's number one. You add to the fact that I do believe that people at ESPN knew that Nick Saban was going to retire because that that rumor was going <laughs> that rumor was going on throughout that late in that season, there were rumors. And I think they wanted to give him one more playoff run. Oh, by the way, where is he employed now, Kyle? Where is he employed? That's right. <laughs> college game day. Wow. What a coincidence. So I think there were a lot of factors in play of why Florida state was left out. Look, I don't think it's at the end of the day from a forget the Florida state side of things. I think the right team won the national title. Sure. It was Michigan. And I, I, as much as I'm going to, I agree if tra- with Travis out, with Travis out, I don't think Florida State beats a Michigan on the field, right? Now, if Jordan Travis was healthy, we might have a different conversation, but it still can't get hurt. If it would have obviously been a better game, I, I don't think that's right. the argument. But, but listen, we're talking about FSU showing the ACC's weakness directly, it hurting their case. Now they're building on it for a minute. Let, let do do you? I mentioned showing the ACC's weakness. Do you feel like them coming to the table and thinking about negotiating, selling them back their rights? Um, is is a what? What do you read that to be kind of a sign of? 
a sign that lawyers are doing their work. <laughs> they're trying to figure out a loophole. Okay. I don't know. I mean, they're they're finding every language they can get out of this, right? They're trying to find any hole they can get. I think that was a little overblown. I don't think it's as simple as that sounds. Like, hey, you could just buy your media rights back and you're good to go because otherwise other teams would do that, right? Sure. Right? But I think they are working on some ways to make this happen. They're fine, trying to find some holes. And again, if you're the ACC, are you 100% sure you would win a legal case against Florida State? And that's why they're coming to the table. You got it. Right. Bingo. Because yeah. right? what's, what's while whatever they get is less than $537 million, it's still more than bupkis. That's a fact, too. But And you also mentioned this, and I alluded to this a bit in the intro, uh, Eric Lopez, but um, you mentioned, well, the other teams could just negotiate this. If I'm the ACC, my response is, I dare you to test the market, except for maybe Miami. I dare you to test the market and see what you could get from another conference. When you I say test the market, what, what are you talking about? You don't believe certain teams can get to a conf- get to that conference? I don't believe that the Big Ten or the SEC would want, for example, Boston College. Or I agree with that. Right? That's where I'm coming from. Now, it, you mentioned to the SEC and the and the Big Ten, I would also argue as a basketball conference, at least somewhat at its core, I think them jumping to the Big 12, or at least some teams being picked out to jump to the Big 12 makes sense too. the Dukes, especially. Well, well, let, let's break it down. Let's break this down because I think there's multiple pieces to this. All right. Florida State cares about football. Would you agree with that? This is why they're making this move. Right. With respect yeah. to basketball, reason, you know. The whole reason they're in that basketball conference is your boy Bowden went to a uh, We don't need to get into the whole, you know, 30 years ago where you're like you were supposed to predict the future, you know, type of thing. Same back to the future with Michael J. Fox, all right? With Christopher right. Lloyd. Great movie, by the way. Great series if you ever watched. <laughs> I think if Florida State negotiated the deal, they would end up either Big Ten or SEC, probably the Big Ten, because the Big Ten doesn't have a Florida market. No, they don't. So, and then now the SEC would have to make an interesting decision there. Are you willing to let a Florida State or Miami go to the Big Ten and give and, and share that Florida market with the Big Ten? Or do you say, no, 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 we'll grab Florida State to, to, to still keep control of this state of Florida? That's something that the SEC and their TV partners – would have to make a decision on. Do you think the SEC would not would not allow a chance? Florida might gripe, but bleep them. Do you think the SEC would dodge a chance to reinvigorate rivalry as much as we've heard it beginning canceled? How excited would SEC ban- fans be to have Florida, Florida State be relevant again? I, I tend to agree with you. Yeah. I think Florida and I think Florida State and Clemson are banking on that. Those two in particular. You're you're uh, bringing your Clemson, man. I'm worried about them. Baba? No, I. I you know, again, does Clemson, for example, SEC take them so to make sure the Big Ten doesn't? I don't know. I think Florida State has a stronger, you know, argument than Clemson, to your point. North Carolina, I know you and I have argued about North Carolina. North Carolina actually has the most brand out of all this because both conferences would love to tap into the North Carolina market. And North Carolina, obviously, with the Nike, you know who Mr. Mr. Jordan is, Airness, yeah. right? The basketball brand speaks for itself. That's the they have a lot more going. I think both 
the SEC and the Big Ten would fight for North Carolina. Big time. I don't know who wins that, but there would be a big fight for that. Um, I feel like, too, and again, I mentioned it in passing, as a conference that is a budding football entity. They're obviously not the Big 12, or excuse me, the Big 10 in the SEC, but the Big 12 is consensus the number three group. Yes. I would think the uh, that North Carolina could possibly negotiate at a premium. I, I don't know what that looks like exactly. Maybe they get a little extra egg in their share. I, I, I don't know. We we could we could wax poetic on the particulars, but sure. I feel like the that not only would North Carolina be validated to join what is again consensus the best basketball conference in the nation. Okay. And I don't think it's close. I think you'll agree with that, even though their officiating is a little iffy. We've had that conversation. On yeah, the but, but I, I, again, I don't think North Carolina will have to go to the Big 12. I think the oh, ACC. Oh, 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 oh. Hear me out. Hear me out. But then also they would be in a position to where their football team would maybe rise a few pegs because they've gotten a lot of hype and been awfully disappointing. Sam, sure. I don't get why people, what people see in Drake May, but I'm told he's allegedly the second best quarterback in the draft. Second I'm, or third, depending on who you read. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, hey, listen, I, I called BS when people loved Sam Howell while he was still playing against uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence. And, and no, they, it, I'm being proven right now as far as an NFL prospect. But even with those flops and these struggles and the constant failure to be ACC champions, they would be in a position to compete, I feel like, for a Big 12 championship before being in the middle of the SEC. Do you yeah, think but I think they're going to get more money from either the SEC or the Big Ten. They're going to get a big, big payday, and that's what this is about, Kyle. It, sometimes we complicate this stuff. It's all about the cash, homie. <laughs> right? Okay. Give me the most money. And, and, and North Carolina still thinks they can compete in football. I think it's laughable, but they <laughs> think they're a football player in this as well. So, and they're going to get rewarded. I think the SEC, I think the SEC and the big 10 would actually pay more and fight more for North Carolina than they would a Florida state or definitely a Clemson. I would point. What's the closest thing that floor, or excuse me, the SEC has Kentucky, right? right? You know, what's the closest thing the big 12 has? I, I, I don't even know. You know, like Indiana's not a football now, power. Now, I think the Big 12 will end up with teams like Louisville. Like, I think Louisville will end up in the Big 12 and get the scraps, is what I'm saying, for the Big 12. And and try to be powerful in basketball, because I think Brett Yormark knows he's in a fight he's not going to win against the SEC and the Big 10 when it comes to the football side of things. He's not going to be able to dictate anybody about how football's going to work. But the leverage that he has is, we're pretty damn, we're pretty darn gone strong here in basketball, and if you guys, you know, whatever you have in mind for the basketball tournament, you're going to need us. So here's what I and I think this is what Brett would tell the SEC and uh, Greg Sankey and then and Petit, the Big Ten commissioner. I think Brett Yormark would say, "Hey, I will help you pass whatever you want to pass from a football playoff standpoint, from a how do you want to run college athletic standpoint." I mean, he's made remarks about how this is a business. Okay, and how people have not should have treated it like a, he ain't sugarcoating things. Okay, he, I was he, in the room when he made that. It, this is a business statement. Obviously, he made it several times, but I've heard it personally as well. Yeah, correct. And I think what he wants in return, he's like, fine, SEC, Big Ten, you want to have the majority of the money for football and all that. Fine, let us get a piece of the pie, but in return, 
I want more access to the basketball tournament. I don't want to be have my 10th best team sitting at home because a team in the Missouri Valley has got a bid, right? <laughs> I really do. I think he would want as many Big 12 teams. And, like, let's get rid of the mid-major teams and more space. And he made that comment. He doesn't think the basketball championship right now is a true identification of a championship, which ticked off a lot of people. Yeah, but, I, don't, I don't get that precisely, but I, because I think he doesn't, he doesn't, he believes, and I think Greg Sankey will agree with him on this, that the tenth or eleventh best team in their particular conference is better than the conference champion from the Patriot League, for example. Right? Okay. That that's the argument they're going to make. The problem with that is the thing that makes the tournament so popular is is the mid major ups, you know, being in the mix. Cinderella, like, correct. So I don't know if the tournament would be as interesting if you expanded it, number one. If you expanded it, what's the point of watching the regular season game? What's the point of us talking about a January basketball game? We already don't be- watch the regular season. You know, I mean, I, know I cover some games for the black and gold banneret, bing, but right. you know, as a college football fan, listen, or excuse me, basketball fan, that's your house, man. I rely on you to tell me about quad one and things like that. But the regular season as it is, it's not the people tune in for March. You, If you expand this tournament 10, 20, 30 teams, like it's pointless. Like what are we, whatever, everybody's in, they're playing for seeds. But I think that's what they want. They want more of the money on the basketball side. Because remember, the more teams you get into the basketball tournament, the more money your conference makes. That's the second big money maker behind football. Let, let so, the major keep what they got. If I can get more of my elite level Big 12 teams in, that's more money for me. Well, that's the thing. What they got to decide is do you do that by expanding the tournament and having more at larges, which the Big 12 would get, for example, or do you limit 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 the automatic bids and try to take away from the mid major? You could do it. That's that's what they're going to decide. But that's where we're headed with all this. Right. That's where we're headed with all this. You and I and Jeff argue about this. Jeff doesn't like to hear this, but this is the reality of the business side. Yeah, of it. Jeff Sharon, head of the Black and Gold Banneret, does have some kumbaya moments, and and I don't I don't blame him for for white knuckling and claim and, and, and clinging to some things about the way they were. But listen. I, 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 whether money's the driving force or not, Eric Lopez, which it obviously big. Is, oh yeah, yeah. I, I feel like college football, such as it has been formed to be a regional league, was way overdue for a reboot. Right. So I would argue with that. So I'm going to tell you. And listen, whether I like it or not, here's the devil's advocate from the football standpoint. Foot college football will always be popular despite itself, in my opinion. And what I mean by that is. If you don't like whatever the direction the sport is headed, here's the thing, right? Everybody's complaining about, oh, I hate the the, the conference realignment and this makes no sense. What about the rivalry? Like, Remember all the people that are complaining about, oh, UCF's not going to play USF on Black Friday. What are we going to do on Black Friday? Oh, I don't know. Maybe host a a top 10 Utah team this Black Friday. I don't know. That's a lot better to me. Could be a thing, you know. It's pretty good. (laughs) And I think in the end, Football will always – here's what the networks are betting on. Because the diehards might have an issue with this and, hey, I want my rivalry and this or that. But you know this. The casual fan doesn't care about all this stuff that we're talking about. You know what the casual fan cares about? Turning on a TV on a particular Saturday at 12 o'clock or 3 o'clock or 7 o'clock. And what's on? Oh, there's a college football game. Ooh, Oregon's playing Michigan. I'm in, right? They're not thinking, man, this is terrible. I'm not going to watch this. 
this is horrible. I can't believe they're doing this for college. But no, they're just going to watch football. And I think what the networks are banking on, and I think they're going to win this, right? This is People are wondering, why are the TV networks so involved? Because let's say Texas against Alabama, that draws pretty well. Oklahoma versus Georgia draws. Michigan, Oregon, they're trying to duplicate what the National Football League has figured out, which is if you have compelling big-time matchups every week on a certain block, people will watch. People want to watch football. And so instead of li- cap, you know, limiting yourself and saying, ah, let's watch Ohio State versus Rutgers or whatever, <laughs> why don't we put Ohio State versus Oregon and get more eyeballs? And I think you're going to see a jump in the TV viewership from a football standpoint because there's more interesting matchups in the short term. Whether it's good for college athletics or not, whether it's good for the Olympic sports or not, that's a whole different conversation. But that's why the TV networks are doing this, and they're going to be right. I never said that the playoff won't draw viewers. It will. But it's not going to draw the big money that they think it will. And that's been proven out by this new ESPN deal because at the end of the day, you're not going to push over the NFL their slots, TV slots. Yeah. And and so as a result – College football is having some of their playoff games like on a Thursday and a Friday because they know they can't go against the NFL. Yeah, and listen, once once we get more solidarity on what that playoff's actually going to look like, I know you and I are going to have a segment, be it on this show, be it on the Black and Gold Bannerette, bing, or somewhere about how all the the variant of scheduling failures that have been (laughs) of late with the college football playoff. But, hey, listen, now that they got more games, um, they would – they have an opportunity to maybe test things and repair some stuff. Who knows? But Eric Lopez, great segment, man. Glad to have you in. An honor, joy, and privilege. Tell the world where you can be found, my guy. Man, Eric Lopez Elo on social media, uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com. I contribute there. Obviously, I write there, uh, but I also do a softball podcast. I'm doing softball broadcast remotely this weekend in California. That's why I'm wearing this unique headset. Um, That's because good. This, thank you. It's it's not my equipment, but it's <laughs> glad I'm, it's working. Uh, so I'm doing a little bit. Of, I, I have a lot of hats on. Eric Lopez Eagle is the place to find all, but I'm trying to keep up. With. I've got too many things going on, but it's fun, busy time, and, and I always course, enjoy uh, bantering with you. And of course, your most important titles, uh, including award-winning broadcaster for UCF softball. <laughs> That's and, right, 18th season, man. and the Sultan of stickball as I know it. That's your title. You have exclusivity to that. All right. Hey, man, we'll catch you next time, brother. Talk soon. Anytime, but Always fun to run into Eric Lopez. But listen, I mentioned that this was a show of local heroes for Orlando. And listen, last time I used to, I shouldn't say last time, last year, as soon as that, maybe a little long. I don't, I, I don't, I forget exactly how new this is for him to be the Orlando Magic beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel. But you would see a lot of coverage here locally from him at the Sentinel for UCF. He's evolved. He's in the pros quite literally, and a lot of significant significant coverage surrounding the Magic and the All Star game this weekend. Here, let's talk to him about it. My guy, Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel. What's up, my man? Oh man, if you, if I knew I was following Eric Lopez, I would have declined. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hey, listen, I'll 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 guide you through your experience <laughs> following the Sultan of Stickball. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through this together, there, Beans. You're gonna be all no, right. It's it's great to be here. It's yeah. great to be here. Good to have you in, man. Um, listen, I I know I know. Uh, listen, off the bat, I I'm scheduling this with you, and it hits me upside the head right after I send the DM. Oh yeah. 
it's an all-star break, but Beats is still going to be working because Paolo Bencaro is the franchise's ninth all-star placement. Do me a favor. Give me a little context on how big a deal this is for the franchise. Yeah, this was a really big deal. I think it really shows that this rebuild, this current rebuild, already was successful, but this current rebuild really has put a new face of the franchise. Um, you know, after they trade away Nikola Vucevic and 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 brought in Jamal Mosley and, and really turned the tide from one era to the next, you know, you always are, you know, anxious, unsure. You do a lot of planning about who you're going to draft number one overall. And we've seen busts. We've seen players work out. And so far, Paolo has done everything he said he's going to do. You know, he said he was going to be rookie of the year. He did that. He said he he told me back in training camp that he was going to be an all star this season. Well, he just did that. So you know the next the next the next thing that he said he was going to do is make the playoffs this year, and that's something that you know the Magic right now are in position to potentially right now the if the you know make a play in potentially the playoffs as well. Um, and and it, for Paolo to become an all star uh, and, and do so in a city like Orlando and with the amount of votes he got from the fans and then to be picked as a reserve by the coaches just shows that, um, you know, not only are our magic fans paying attention to what he's doing, but so are those around the league. And uh, it's, it's absolutely a big deal that he was the first all-star uh, since Vucevic and, and the ninth in magic history. It's a really big deal for sure. Yeah. Nine apparently is a, a magic number here this season. They broke the franchise record earlier in the year um, for a winning streak, getting nine games, um, pre Christmas in a row. I like I when you what was it? They got 30 wins in December, I think it was, which puts the months ahead of schedule to get on a playoff pace. So, hey, you know, Paolo calling his shot makes sense from that standpoint. But uh, let's do this too cuz we just passed the trade deadline. I don't dare even try to think of being anywhere near you that Thursday cuz I know how bad <laughs> it gets in free agency. But I mean, it, it beyond a reasonable doubt the, the the saying that's been out there is uh, that the magic, well, not saying, I mean, it occurred that the magic stood pat, everybody in the lineup, you know, breathed a sigh of relief. Um, the magic alleged to be healthy, even though it would appear that Markel Fultz will be missing. You write something about that um, on uh, the Orlando set at the Orlando Sentinel, bing, as they're heading into the road trip without Markel Fultz. Um, they mentioned standing Pat was confidence in the team that they have, which I don't think is, I don't think that's untrue. He said with a double negative, but how much of that too, is their buyers being, being aware of the wares that are there, right? Jonathan Isaac, a constant injury concern, you know, obviously Markel Fultz. And I mean, no disrespect to either of these guys. They are a pleasure to watch play basketball, but I mean, the best ability is availability, right? Do you, how much of that tied into, the magic not trading and that they didn't really have suitors to speak of. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously there's still needs for this roster shooting being number one. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people thought, you know, who knows what Markel Fultz is going to have, what's going to happen to him this summer. He's on an expiring contract. They have to make a decision, an expensive decision, potentially. Um, he's obviously when he's been healthy, he's been an important piece, right? I mean, we saw last year at the end of last season, how, uh, Mechie helped them almost make the plan. And this year when he is healthy, uh, you know, he offers a calming presence on the court, a veteran presence on the court. Um, you know, I think Anthony Black, the rookie who they drafted, number six overall, has stood in there at times. But 
I think that only can last so long just because right now he's a rookie, right? I mean, nobody, especially probably even Anthony, thought he'd be starting this many games as a rookie. I mean, you see what's happening with Jed Howard going back and forth between the G League and the NBA. You know, Anthony Black probably, if Markel Fultz wasn't healthy, or if he, if Markel Fultz was healthy, Anthony Black probably could potentially be going, would have been in that same path. I mean, um, we've seen when Fultz is healthy that Anthony depending on the matchup, obviously he offers, you know, strong defense and whatnot, but, um, you know, he's in that third unit with, with Chuma and then Gogo Bataze and they're not playing. So, um, you know, with all of that said, I think Markel is still an important piece. Um, he is their starting point guard. Um, in regards to the trade deadline, I think, you know, even though they didn't make a move, if they had made a bad trade, that would have been a lot worse than no move at all. Um, you know, and the Magic know a thing or two about bad trades, right? We've seen that before, and um, you know, obviously Jeff Weltman knows what he's doing. His team, or you know, they they it's not like they didn't make an effort to do any trades, um, to not do any trades. They they did their due diligence, as I reported, and they made calls and and put in the effort. And as Weltman told me uh, a few weeks ago, that it takes two teams to make a trade. So um, how serious were those trade talks? You you know, you probably have to ask the other teams. So. Um, it's not that they didn't try. I think really at the end of the day, they feel confident that this group has gotten them to 30 wins, right? They, they're now, you know, entering the final stretch of the season with 30 and 25 with 27 left. And if they go 15 and 12, they'll finish with 45 wins, which last year was good enough for six seed, which means you missed the plan. You, you're in a playoff series. You're playing the third team in the East. So yeah. I think, yes, there are needs, uh, but at the same time, you know, some fans need to understand that, um, you know, it, they're on a timeline and they know their timeline. And, you know, could you add a veteran presence and another veteran player um, and, and get a sugar high and get a sugar rush? Sure. But that's just like putting a Band-Aid over a problem. It doesn't really, uh, you know, it's not really a cure for, for whatever the problem is long term. So I think they, they, they definitely did their due diligence. But at the same time, they feel confident about what they have. And Paolo Bancair was a big part of that confidence. Yeah, and you mentioned Paolo Bancaro. This is a conversation actually you and I have had in that it, I think an element too about building confidence and building experience. This upcoming playoff run, assuming they achieve it, um, would be huge for Bancaro to get experience under the big lights as the team's franchise guy. Um, and not just Paolo. I think Jalen Suggs has never been in the playoffs. Wendell Carter Jr. has never been in the playoffs. Like Franz Wagner has never been in the playoffs. Like People Cole? need to remember just how young this team is. Yeah. Uh, is know, and, and and the fact that they have, um, you know, so many guys that, you know, Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac were the only two guys from that 2019 or 2020 playoffs, uh, 2020 playoffs in the bubble uh, that they were last a part of. And, um, you know, with that, with that said, there's so many guys on the team that doesn't have playoff experience. Obviously, Gary Harris is a guy that has playoff experience and Joe Ingles as well. But the majority of the roster, the entire starting five almost, has never played in a playoff series before. And that's part of the growing process, right? I mean, just because, um, you know, they might get in that first round and depending on who they're facing, if they finish as a eighth or seventh seed, that's, that's going to be tough to beat Boston or, or Milwaukee or Cleveland. But, um you know they need to go through that experience, and that's something that Jeff Weltman said that they earned that ex- they earned that opportunity to go through that experience and 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 potentially make the playoffs. And you know at this point in a play-in team pushing for the playoffs, they've earned that opportunity. 
Yeah, and I I think I've said on on this show and in other places that um, six is a, kind of a best case scenario for a re, a, a, you know a realistic landing spot um, for the Magic. And, and you know, listen, they're in the thick of it too. They're tied with the Heat um, currently, you know, neck and neck, um, and the Pacers are one game ahead. So I mean that that's going to be a dogfight to get to that sixth seed, I think too. And then with Embiid being in and out of the lineup lately their fifth i think they're going to crawl up but it, it, i'll put it this way let's say let's fast forward let's say the magic actually they they get that sixth spot they clear the play in and they win a series which would probably be over let's say in atlanta a chicago and indiana of the teams I'm about to list, who do you feel more most confident that they could compete in in the next round? I mean, I, I think I, Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland, New York, or Philly, who do you think they would compete best with in a playoff series um, <laughs> it, it, once they clear the first round? Well, if they were the sixth seed, they'd probably face New York as the three in the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's actually a pretty favorable matchup. They've beaten the Knicks three times. Of course, the third game, both sides were heavily and severely shorthanded, especially the Knicks in the last one before the break. Yeah. Uh, but they've beaten New York in New York, um, and they've beaten New York uh, three times this season. They play them a fourth time uh, next month uh, in, in a couple weeks, actually. Um, I think New York is a really favorable matchup. You know, at the same time, you know, avoiding Boston, right? I mean, yes, Milwaukee's struggling, um, and Doc Rivers probably has – in over his head a little bit. Uh, at the end of the day, they still have Giannis Antetokounmpo. They still have Damian Lillard. They, you know, I think for a lot of these teams, you know, beyond Boston, um, you know, Cleveland right now is the top two team in the East. Um, you know, the, these are all really good teams with a lot of talented players that, you know, they all have one thing that the Magic don't really, and that's playoff experience. Um, you know, the Knicks obviously are a team that's, you know, they have someone in Jalen Brunson who's, you know, maybe a dark horse MVP candidate. Maybe some doesn't get respect as much as he could have, wasn't named an East starter in the All-Star game, but obviously he's an important piece of that team. And, um, you know, to have an experienced coach like Thibodeau leading the way, uh, you know, that's a tough Knicks team. So, um, you know, I think avoiding Boston and Milwaukee is, is crucial for any chance. But, um, you know, first they got to get there. They got to get there. And that's... That's that's why this final 27 games are so important. You know, the majority of them are at home, and nothing's guaranteed in the NBA. They still have to, you know, put the work in, and, and um, as they say, take it one game at a time. Yeah, well, I, I know Coach Mosley would have said the same, <laughs> uh, 100%. Um, so w- with all that in mind, you mentioned getting a veteran presence. You mentioned not getting a sugar rush, which brilliant. two things you've said brilliantly tonight was A, that, and B, as the – one with actual Greek blood here uh, on the show. You nailing Giannis's last name is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> I think you're the first person I've heard do that on this show. Uh, well, with- <laughs> I, I think as someone who talks to these players, and obviously Giannis, I've only talked to her a handful of times and whatnot, but I feel like it's so important to be able to say their names, right? And I have a last name in Beatty where everyone always says Bead. So I, I kind of get where a lot of these guys are coming from. You know, you talk about a Gogo Bataze or Chuma OKK. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner. Uh, it's it's an international sport, and I think learning how to say these names are is uh, such an easy thing for people to do. I listen. This is <laughs> he's a journalist, folks. That's what a damn professional <laughs> sounds like. But let, let let me finish you off with this question. Let's let's get out. Let's get out 
Let's get out the beads, he says as a joke. The beads magic crystal ball. Okay, and, and this is I think this is kind of a conversation I've had with you before, too, but we'll do it here on the show. You mentioned a veteran presence. You mentioned not getting it short term here for that sugar rush. But typically, championship NBA teams have a trio, a big three. This isn't new, you know, a big three. People want to blame, you know, LeBron for putting it together in Miami, and then they forget that the Bulls were a thing. And, you know, and then they forget that Larry Bird even had a big three. But that's a whole other thing. Obviously, Paolo is the number one. I can make an argument that Franz Wagner is to humor me. We'll say that. Okay. Um, if they were to get a presence, I'll put it this way. Is the third guy in the building, which I don't think so, but you tell me. And um, if so, whom would you see that potentially being, or would they have to kind of draft for that? Yeah, I think, you know, Absolutely, Paolo and Franz are the one too. I mean, if anyone's untouchable on this roster, it's those two guys. And um, you know, there's a couple others, of course. But uh, I think Wendell Carter Jr.'s, you know, could be budding for that third spot. Um, he's obviously not your biggest center, and he has trouble around the rim. But he, at the end of the day, he still is their defensive anchor and can help spread the floor with his three-point shooting. But as you mentioned before earlier in the show, availability is the best ability. And as we've seen this season, Wendell's and past seasons, Wendell struggled with that. But um, as he said before the break, Orlando treats their big men nicely with, you know, talking about the different areas of centers they've had. Uh, so I think he wants to become that third piece. I mean, uh, you know, I remember going back, back before training camp or around that time, Hito Turgulu said, you know, him, Franz, Paolo are, are, you know, foundational pieces that the franchise can build around and, um, you know, of, of course, if something doesn't work after a certain amount of time, you have to move on. Um, you know, I think Orlando is a spot where they have a lot of cap space coming into the summer. Um, you know, they've, they've recently been tied to a Clay Thompson or someone like that. Um, knowing Jeff Waltman, I think that they're going to be calculating whatever they decide to do. Uh, and they've made it this far so far homegrown. They've made a couple of key trades, of course, to acquire Wendell, to acquire Markel. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, obviously, um, I'm not giving a big name, but, <laughs> you know, it, it is hard to get a read on what they're going to do in the future. Um, but they feel confident. I mean, I think having those two guys, you know, of course, getting a healthy point guard and getting another big man, um, who can really change things for you, um, you know, beyond, you know, what Wendell Carter is able to do, but, um, you know, they feel confident in what Wendell can be, and I think he's still really young too. So it's yeah. um, just a, a building process for sure. So, and, and I think something that, like, I think something that would be very interesting too is let's say they go, like you're talking about, and, and label Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, the, the, the third of the big three. The argument could be too that you just go in and get a couple veteran shooters maybe and try to all yep. perimeter around yep. that's another option. So I could see that. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of options. I mean, we've seen how important Joe Ingles has been this season to the oh, second yeah. unit. Um, you know, and obviously he's a little bit towards the end of his career. I don't, I don't like he's afraid to admit that. <laughs> um, and but with that being said, his, his you know for how important he's been, imagine someone a little bit younger who has that experience. I mean, there's players out there that um, you know they can make a run in free agency. They have tons of draft stock. They have tons of cap space moving forward. That's one reason why they didn't 
feel pressured to make a move at this deadline, knowing what they can accomplish this season. And, and like I said before, they're on their they're on their timeline, um, going according to plan so far, it seems. And nailing Paolo Bancaro was that first one that was so important mm-hmm. and so far so good. So um, they're just going to continue to evaluate what they have. And, uh, you know, if something feels right. They have the pieces to make the right moves. So, well, hey, I, 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 I appreciate you recalibrating my point of view on that. <laughs> I appreciate you uh, analyzing the the entirety of the top of the East so we can get something for every NBA fan here. And, man, thanks for jumping in. This is why I call you friend of the show. This is why I use the big J when I call you a journalist. Jason, <laughs> tell the world when you be found, my guy. Yeah, at the real BD on Twitter, of course, OrlandoSentinel.com. We still have a print newspaper. Check that out. That's pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, at the real BD on Twitter is where you can find me and Orlando Sentinel.com is where you can read all my work. There you go. I've known this kid since he used to wear green photo vests. I love it. <laughs> hey, good to there have you. you. Go. We'll catch you next time, brother. Thank you. An honor, joy, and privilege to have him. Listen, the Orlando-centric show, I told you tonight, some guys who know what they're doing, some guys with that experience that Jason was talking about. Great to have him in. Of course, special thanks, of course, as well to Eric Lopez for coming in. And of course, I am Kyle Nash, the student of the game. You can find me on Twitter, threads, Instagram, at the SOTG. Find me on Facebook as a student of the game. Check out my writings with the three-point conversion, the Jaguar report, and the black and gold banneret. I will be in the building at Edition Financial Arena this weekend doing some women's basketball for UCF. So check out that stuff on blackandgoldbanneret.com. And of course, my appearance is on the Night Shift podcast with the Black and Gold Banneret. Of course, the streaming platforms as well. You could catch uh, I am the SOTG on Twitch. Find the live streams of both A7BN Sports Facebook page, Toba Media, and uh, the Huddle Up Podcast YouTube page. And of course, I'm assuming you're listening to this on a pod. If you were watching the stream and you miss one week, all your podcasts, the student of the game, all your podcast catchers, it will be there. If it's not, let me know. I'll find him. I will find you. But listen, great to have everybody aboard. Uh, thanks to the snowman himself jumping into the comments here uh, with some laughs about me bringing up crystal ball. Um, and of course, special thanks to all of you for coming to check in here on this week's edition of the student of the game podcast, um, an honor, joy, and privilege to host you all. But until next time, everyone class dismissed.